Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. So we've been learning about the seven churches of age and how they represent the historical periods of the church for the last 2,000 years. And we've learned that throughout this time, there was a remnant a group of true believers that were never compromised in their doctrines, but always sought to fulfill the Great Commission. But what about everybody else? And what does the Bible mean when it talks about the apostate church or the great apostasy? Well, let's talk about these questions and answer them coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. We're studying the book of Revelation, and we are now squarely in the most exciting part of the book of Revelation, right in the prophecy part. We have looked at the history of the church, but now everything that we'll be studying is either going on now or shortly will sometime in the future. We may not know when, but it will be a future-type event. So that's where we're at in the book of Revelation. Today, we're starting in the section where it talks about the church of Laodicea. So let's get right into it, starting in uh, chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. And also buy white garments so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And buy ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I am the one who corrects and disciplines everyone I love. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. I will invite everyone who is victorious to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Wow, these are some of the toughest words that Jesus spoke to any of the seven churches. And it's kind of interesting because it's a study of contrast. Laodicea was a very rich city in history, and it was very famous for a lot of its uh, advancements. It had its own uh, water system. And uh, it even boasted a medical school. In fact, it was well known for some healing powders that were mixed up to be an ointment to help eye infections or ear infections. So it was pretty famous and, you know, high tech for its day and very rich. And yet Jesus is saying none of that matters and gets right to the point 
and gives them some of the harshest words he has spoken to any of the churches. Now, when we've studied the churches, if you remember, we've looked at it from three points of view. We've looked to see what was going on with the church in John's day when this letter was uh, given to John and spoken to John to record and send to these churches. We've also looked at how each church represents a period of church history. And it was a prophecy that Jesus gave John to show the different periods and the different struggles the church would have over the centuries. And finally, we look and see how we can apply each of these truths that we've learned from the different churches to us as individuals today, but also to the church in America today. Now, since this is actually squarely in a prophetic area, something that's going on now and in the future, we're going to combine all these things because what they struggled with in the day of John in the city of Laodicea, in the church of Laodicea, we struggle with today as well. So it'll just be simpler to combine it all and look at it from that point of view. You see, this church is not only representing what happens to a very worldly church that never truly commits fully to God, but it is also representative of something I like to call the apostate church. See, last time we talked about the Church of Philadelphia, and we said that this church was representative of the time period that started around the 1700s, but it's still going on today. The remnant, the true believers within all the churches in the world that are committed to Christ to share their faith and fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples. So the remnant is going on. But this, this church is also going on now a very hypocritical, a very worldly church represented by the Church of Laodicea. So I call it the apostate church. And it actually starts around the 2000s when uh, the whole Christian church in America and throughout the world went whole hog into trying to copy the mega church model. So from the 2000s on. Now, when does it end? Well, interesting enough, this type of church, this religious system that the Laodicea church represents, really will continue on all the way through into the Antichrist world government. Now, wait a minute, Todd, you say, how can that be? Last time you said that the remnant would be rescued from that seven-year period of time of Jacob's distress, that Jesus would come and get his people before that testing of the whole world would occur. I absolutely did, and that is absolutely true. The true believers will be taken by Christ in what is commonly called the rapture before the seven-year period of Jacob's distress begins. That is a fact. It is promised in Scripture. And if you want to go over that again, watch the video, session number 10, uh, that we did last week over again, and you'll see how the Bible shows that in various areas. But to understand what's going on here with this church, we have to go back to the parable that Jesus gave us of the wheat and the tares. Now, I'm going to read some passages, uh, in, starting in Matthew, that talks about this. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Here's another story Jesus told. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. This is commonly called tares in some of the older translations. The farmer's servants came and told him, Sir, the field you planted, that good seed is full of weeds or tares. An enemy has done it, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull out the weeds, they asked. He replied, No, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. Now, Jesus said and started at the beginning of this parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. So he's talking about the church and he's saying the church is like this. Well, you have true believers, the wheat, but right there in the same field, in the same church are weeds, the tares, people who are not believers. Now, think about it. You take church A, church B, church C, doesn't matter which church, and you have some true believers that are practicing the Great Commission, fulfilling the Great Commission, dedicated to God to serve Jesus with all they have, totally committed. But within that same church, you have the false believers, people who really don't believe, people who are religious yet have no relationship with Christ. And these weeds, they look like Christians. They go to church and act religious, just like the tear looks like the wheat. The weed looks like the wheat, but they bear no fruit. They're not truly saved. Now think about that. When the rapture comes and the remnant leaves to be with the Lord, just like we studied last week and is prophesied in Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when that happens, what's going to be left? The tares, the unbelievers. Now, are they just going to abandon their religion? Probably not. And especially the way Jesus is referring to it. He's talking about these religious people, but who do not know Christ. They do not have a relationship with Christ. So, yes, this group, if they do not repent and get saved, and become true believers, this group will be left behind when the rapture comes, and this group will see the Antichrist world government. So this is a church situation that's going on now, but is also part of prophecy of the future when the Antichrist arise with his world government. So this is how you need to start looking at it. Quit looking at the church as several denominations. Quit looking at the church as Catholic versus Protestant or Baptist versus Methodist. Quit looking at it all like that. Look at it like Jesus taught us in the book of Revelation. There is one church and that the sins of all these various denominations are still out there, still prevalent. The tares are still there. And these things will crop up in every church. You may be part of the most dynamic, spirit-filled church there is. And you may be totally uh, separated from any of this false doctrine and not involved in it whatsoever. But unless you persevere, 
unless your church stays committed to staying sharp and is always trying to get closer to God, unless you are involved in the spiritual war to always advance, mark my words, your church will start to decline and it'll start being filled with more and more tears. And some of these false doctrines that we've studied over this, uh, the six churches previous to this and all the centuries of the church, all these false doctrines, Nicolaitanism, on and on, it will start creeping into your church and killing it off. So the temptations are always there. These, these false teachings are always there because like Jesus said, the tares and the wheat are all together. And he's not gonna separate them now because that might damage the wheat. He'll wait when it's near the end, the time of judgment, when he comes with his rapture and takes us all away. That is what will happen. And that will be the great separation of the tares and wheat then. So yes, this represents what I like to call the apostate church. And it started, I think, around 2000, the 21st century. I think it's going on now, not just in America, but in several places throughout the world. And I think it will continue to grow. And I also think that sometime, and we don't know when, but when Jesus comes back, it may be tonight, it may be a hundred years from now, maybe a thousand years from now. But I think since we're here already at the end and we're seeing this prophecy alive now, it's going to be closer than people think. Maybe not in your lifetime or my lifetime, but hopefully it will be. Maybe we will live to see it. Wouldn't that be cool? But in any case, when he comes with the rapture, these apostate people will keep going on. Now, to say, you know, just one passage teaches this, it's not good. Like I've always taught you, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So let's see what Jesus says in another uh, passage in Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. He says this, Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. Now listen what he says. He says, they may call me Lord, in other words, boss. They may say I'm the Lord of their life, but in reality, they don't obey me or the Father in heaven. 22, on judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. You see, there is a group of people called the tares in a, alive and well in every church, and it's growing. And that's what the Church of Laodicea represents. The tares that are within a church, that are totally taking over a church, a church of false sweet, the tares. And they, I think, know they're not truly saved. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised at Judgment Day and say, oh, I thought I was a Christian. No, they know whether or not Jesus is really their boss. They may call Jesus the Lord and their boss, but in reality, 
He's not. And that's what he's saying here. They've compromised for the world. They don't use the Bible as authority. They believe their uh, version of Scripture. They believe that uh, the Bible should not be taken word for word, literally. They don't believe the Bible, when it talks about sins, all those things were truly sins. And we're seeing that today, and we've talked about some of it last week. So yes, indeed, that is what's going on. The wheat and the tares, and this church Laodicea is talking about the tares. Now, what's this thing about the apostasy? Well, let's look at a passage that explains it very well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. And now, brothers and sisters, let us tell you about the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered together to meet him. Please don't be so easily shaken and troubled by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Even if they claim to have had a vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us, don't believe them. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion. Now, this phrase, great rebellion, will come to. Keep that in mind. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy every god there is and tear down every object of adoration and worship. He will position himself in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. This evil man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of wicked deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to believe the truth that would save them. So God will send great deception, or some translations will say a deluding spirit, upon them, and they will believe all these lies. Then they will be condemned for not believing the truth and for enjoying the evil they do. Now, these 12 verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 actually give us a timeline of events, of prophetic events, from the rapture on through the rise of the Antichrist. Now, we're not going to go over this entire passage. We will look at this passage in detail in a, some upcoming weeks. But one thing I want to look at is verse 3. Remember, I told you to keep that phrase in mind. And it says this, Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. Now that phrase, great rebellion, is used here in the New Living Translation. And it's also used in the NIV and the ESV translations. But I'll tell you something. All three of those translations missed the boat on this word because it says a great rebellion. Now, that phrase, a great rebellion, actually comes from one word. It's a Greek word called apostasia, apostasia, okay? It's where we get the word, English word, apostasy from. And it literally means to fall away. 
or to depart or to defect, however you want to say it, but it means that you're part of a group and you walk away. The great apostasy is when people who are within the Church of Laodicea allow the tares to weaken their faith so much and they don't repent of their sins and they become more and more like the world and they are encouraged to be so and to not pursue God by the tares, that they eventually harden their heart to the point and they walk away from the faith. They depart from the faith. They fall away or defect from their salvation in Christ and decide to heck with it. It's too hard. I'm just going to go the way of the world. Now, that is what the Greek word apostasia means, the apostasy. And the church of Laodicea is the apostate church. You're going to have the remnant and the tares, and you're going to have a group of the remnant, the weaker brothers who aren't being discipled by their pastor because of the mega church movement has left them totally unaccountable. And there's so many people in these huge churches that they're just doing a show to make everybody feel good instead of truly discipling like we talked about last week. And so there's this fringe group of the remnant that will slowly and surely be drawn by their temptations of sin and the hardness of their heart will get more and more in rebellion against Christ until finally they harden it so much that they defect, they fall away, they leave Christ, and they become just another tear. Now, some of the other translations translate it properly. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 in the New American Standard, also in the complete Jewish Bible and the Holman Christian Standard Bible says this, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. In other words, the rapture won't come until the apostasy comes first. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 in the King James Version or the New King James Version or the Old American Standard Version, not the New American Standard Version, but the American Standard Version, which came out in around early 1900s. They use this phrase also, except there come a falling away first. So whether it be the KJV, New KJV, the American Standard, the New American Standard, the Complete Jewish Bible, or the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and many other translations, they have gone with a word-for-word literal translation, and they've nailed it. The Greek word here means apostasy. It means a falling away, a defection from the faith. So that will happen before Christ comes back in the rapture for his true remnant of believers. And that's what this church represents, the apostate church that's alive and well. Well, I shouldn't say well, and they're not really alive. They're kind of dead, as you'll see here. But it's got the true believers in it, in the remnant, and then they got the tares, and it will be in existence when Jesus comes. The Great Commission Church, like we said last week, will be raptured. The Great Commission believers, those who are truly sold out to Christ, will be raptured. And then the unbelievers, whether they be tares or those who defected from the faith, the apostasy, the apostate people 
who rejected Christ and walked away from the faith, they'll be left, and they will be there when the Antichrist government takes control. So that's what we're talking about. Now let's look at the problems this church is having, and we'll see how we can apply it to our life, because we are living in the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea is going on now, and we are living in the days of the church of Laodicea. You may be part of the remnant. You may be on fire for Christ, but you may also be part of that fringe group that's part of the church of Laodicea. And if you are, you need to change, just like the people in the church of Laodicea were told by Christ to change. And let's look at that and see how we can do it. First of all, let's see the traits that Jesus talks about himself with. Write this letter to the angel of the church and laid to see it, Jesus told John. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, what does it mean to be the amen? Well, we know what the word amen means. It means so let it be. So when we pray to God and we, you know, we finish our prayer and we say in Jesus' name, amen, the phrase amen means so let it be. And that is what Jesus is saying. He is the amen. He is the final word. He, what he says will happen. So what he does or says or wants to happen, what he wills to happen, it will happen. It will be. So he is the great amen. He is the faithful and true witness. In other words, if you were being examined in a court of law, you can trust what Jesus says about you. He is a faithful witness. He's faithful to the truth. He is a truthful witness. He will not depart. He will not lie. He will not say something that's not true. So when you are praying to Jesus and he convicts you, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, it's true. And you can trust it. And you need to respond appropriately. The third thing he describes himself is as the ruler of creation. And of course, that means the creator. He rules the creator. That's what the word Lord means. Controller. The boss. So if you in your Bible, and we've talked about this before, in your Bible, if it says capital L, little O-R-D, which is prevalent throughout the New Testament, it means boss. Controller. Comes from the Greek word kurios. Now, if it's in an English Bible and it says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which you'll see a lot in the Old Testament, that literally means the name of God, Jehovah. And we've talked about that. But here it's talking about Kyrios. It's talking about capital L, little O, R, D, the boss, the controller, the ruler of creation. So basically what he says goes. He's the great amen. Now, that's important to keep in mind when we see what he says about this church. Now, let's look and see what he says. Uh, verse 15, he says, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, what does he mean by lukewarm? Well, hey, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand this. It's pretty clear. You know, we either need to be all in or all out. Sometimes you can respect somebody more who truly follows what they 
think and believe and and reject Christ. At least they're consistent. And you can also respect someone who is on fire for Christ, hot. But what you have trouble with is respecting people who vacillate back and forth, back and forth, who are just kind of lukewarm. And so that is what he's referring to, that you need to choose either to be hot or cold, but don't just be lukewarm because he'll spit you out of his mouth. You know, Joshua's told the same thing to the people right before he stepped down as leader. He said, this day you need to choose. Will you serve God or serve the idols? You know, there's no in-between. You're either hot for God or you're cold. This lukewarm stuff doesn't work, and he'll spit you out. Lukewarm is just another version of cold. The next thing he says is that, you know, you need to choose whether you're going to be hot or cold. In other words, you need to be truly holy, not cheat with this compromise, like we said. Now, there's several passages in Scripture that talks about holiness. Now, I'm just going to go over these real quick. Psalm 5.4, Oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the slightest sin. Just a little bit of sin makes you lukewarm. You got to stay either all in with God or all out. Hot or cold is what he, you know. You, it comes down to. Don't think you can cheat a little bit and compromise. You're just lukewarm and he'll spit you out of your mouth. Psalm 93.5, your royal decrees cannot be changed. The nature of your reign, O Lord, is holiness forever. Ezekiel 43.12, and this is the basic law of the temple, absolute holiness. The entire top of the hill where the temple is built is holy. Yes, this is the primary law of the temple. So the physical temple had to be you know, everything was holiness, absolute holiness. They could not have any unclean things there at the physical t uh, temple in the Old Testament. But it also, it's obvious Ezekiel's talking about the believer, okay? And Jesus talks about that too, and so does Paul. Paul says, we are in Ephesians, we are being built together as the temple of God. So he's saying, look, absolute holiness, none of this compromise, none of this cheating that turns you from hot into lukewarm. Haggai 2, uh, verse 10 through 14, talks about a, a passage. I'll let you read. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but asking priests, he says, look, if you are unclean, can you go hang out somewhere where it's holy people or there's a holy thing and touch it? and get holy? And they said, no, of course not. And then he says, well, let me ask you this. If you're holy and you're fixing to try and go make a sacrifice uh, as a priest, but then you go and, and be with a dead body, which is what uh, God said would make you unclean. It was one of the things that would make you unclean. He says, well, that dead body become clean and holy. And they said, no, of course not. So in other words, if you're a sinner hanging out, in a church, ain't going to make you holy with God. But if you are holy and you are a Christian and you keep hanging out and compromising with the world, you better be careful because that will make you unclean. It will harden your heart. And eventually you will be an apostate believer and reject Christ and fall away. And he sums this up in Haggai by saying this, that is how it is 
with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled. You see, that was what's going on with the lukewarm church in Laodicea. They think they're religious. They think they're doing a great job. They're putting on the show, just like we do in a lot of the churches today. We put on the show, but it's all tainted. It's all defiled with our sin. And that is the true tragedy of the Church of Laodicea. And that's the true tragedy of what's going on in the churches of America today. Now, let's go on. Not only did he say they were lukewarm, he said they think they are fine. Verse 17a, it says this. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now, that's interesting that he, 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 they are talking that way. It's really interesting that he quotes them and they're talking that way. Because those are same words that Israel and Judah said before they got judged. In Hosea 12, verse 8, it says this, Hosea boasts, I am rich and I've gotten it all by myself. No one can say I got it by cheating. My record is spotless. See, they're saying the same thing. We're rich. We're blessed by God. We're holy because we're successful. That proves that God likes us because we're successful. Isaiah 30, verse 10 through 11, and it's talking to the nation of Judah this time. They, talking about Judah, tell the prophets, shut up. We don't want any more of your reports, they say. Don't tell us the truth. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all this gloom. We have heard more than enough about your Holy One of Israel. We are tired of listening to what he has to say. Isn't it awful? The church, of, I mean, the, the nation of Judah had rejected God so much to the point had become apostate to the point where they defected. They got to the point where they said, we are tired of hearing about God. We are tired of hearing about the Holy One of Israel. Now let's see how Christ responds to these same attitudes that the church of Laodicea has. People who have uh, followed the ways of the world, who have allowed such compromise in their life, Compromise with the doctrines, compromise with their lifestyle, compromise with sin to the point that they're saying, we don't even want to hear about God anymore. And there's a lot of that going on in churches. What does Jesus say to them? What's his message to this church and to those of us today? Verse 16, the first thing he says that he will spit them out or vomit them out of their mouth. Since you are lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. So that's the first thing he says. He will not tolerate lukewarm believers. He will not tolerate believers that are changing his word to find a loophole so they can compromise the world. And that's going on today. I've given you the stats from the surveys, you know, in the last couple of episodes, last couple of sessions we've done in this Bible study. I'm not going to repeat them all. But, you know, there's a growing trend. You know, about half of the people in evangelical churches, a half of the people uh, don't know that even one sin keeps you from heaven. About half of the people think some sins are okay, that 
a little sin is not going to keep you from heaven. That's true. They actually are believing that according to the, the stats on these surveys. And we're seeing more and more compromise. There are churches that are saying, well, the Bible shouldn't be taken literally when it's talking about homosexuality. The Bible shouldn't be taken literally when it's talking about uh, sex before marriage. The Bible shouldn't be taken literally about a lot of things that we want to find loopholes with because these sins have become our idols and we want to hold on to them. And we refuse to finally go all in with God. And we refuse to really die to ourselves in these areas of these sins. And we compromise the word and we, we find loopholes and we become lukewarm. And that kind of action just makes him want to spit you out. I want to tell you something. America is filled with churches that have the same lukewarm attitude, that the Bible's not authoritative, they don't even read the Bible, and they think a lot of the things in the Bible just aren't true. The flood's not true. The six-day creation's not true. Uh, you know, Jonah wasn't really swallowed by a great fish. All these are metaphors. And yeah, you know, they say, you know, homosexuality, you can't take that literally because we know more now. And that's the attitude they always have. We have grown in our knowledge now. And that's the same sin that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Satan said, you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll have knowledge and you'll become like God. And we think we are God now. And we think we can pull passages out of the Bible and just throw it away and say, that doesn't apply today. Well, I'm here to tell you, people that are doing that are lukewarm. And they're going to be spit out of Jesus Christ's mouth. That's right. And the danger of it is that the true remnant there will get led astray and their hearts will get hardened following that path until the point where they become apostate believers themselves and walk away from Christ. Verse 17b, he says this, you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. And also buy white garments that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And buy ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. So he says, look, you think you're so great, you think you don't need anything, but really you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Three things. And then he says, look, I advise you to buy gold from me. This goes back to what Jesus said. Make your treasures up in heaven. Quit worrying about mammon or the earthly money, but put your treasures where your heart is, up in heaven. In other words, build a wealth of fruit by sharing your faith, following the Great Commission, and making disciples. Be a, a person that produces a lot of fruit while you're here on earth. Fruit for the kingdom. He also talks about you know, being blind. And this is interesting. It goes back to that ointment you know, that they used to make there in the city of Laodicea. And uh, he says, look, you know, you need this ointment so that you can see. And then he also says, look, buy garments, buy clothes, white garments, so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. Now, this, is, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. When the nations of Israel and Judah were so involved in idolatry worship, that they rejected God. He, he told them that he was going to judge them and reveal them and their nakedness to the world. 
In other words, they were no longer clothed in righteousness. It goes back to Adam and Eve. The first thing they noticed when they went away from God is that they were naked. And so there is this spiritual nakedness. And every person is born with this spiritual nakedness, this sin. And the only way you can have a white garment given to you is by believing in Jesus. And that's talked about later on in Revelation and elsewhere in the Bible. God is the one that provides you righteousness. Jesus is the one through his sacrifice on the cross that allows you to find forgiveness of your sins and to be clothed in white. You know, in Isaiah chapter one, God says, look, let's reason this out together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will wash you anew and make you like white as snow. So again, it's that imagery of white clothing, a white uh, robe that says you are saved. It's an imagery here that's talking about true believers. And these people don't have it. So again, he's referring to a lot of the people in the church of Laodicea as not being saved, as being tares. So there's two groups, or three groups really, the remnant, then those who are borderline lukewarm that may, if they don't change, will harden their hearts and fall away or reject Christ. And then there's the third group, the true tares, the full tares, I should say, who don't really believe and they're just practicing religion, thinking that and their own works will get them to heaven. So he says, buy those three things, gold, clothes, and ointment. And the ointment so that they can truly see, or they can truly start seeing what God is saying in the Bible. See it for themselves and see the truth so they can repent. Because, you know, like he said, he is the faithful and true witness. He's telling them the way it is. And it's up to them to make a decision whether or not they're going to listen and repent. And that's the final thing he says, verse 19b. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent and turn from your indifference and rebuke. And in fact, let me back up a little bit. Uh, before he says that, in verse 19a, he says this, I am the one who corrects and disciplines everyone I love. So he says, look, I'm rebuking you, but I'm doing it out of love. Now, this may sound strange, but it goes back to, you know, like a loving parent. All our parents loved us, and because they loved us, they disciplined us. And this is also scriptural. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, and also a beautiful passage that's based on this passage in Proverbs is uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. And this is talking about the same thing. He says, look, God will discipline you because he loves you. So he's rebuking this church. He's rebuking this church for that middle group, the lukewarm people, trying to give them a chance to repent. And also for calling to the tares again, come to me, come to me and be saved. So he's talking to these people, trying to give them one more chance because he loves them. And then finally, like I said, he says, repent. Turn from your indifference, it says in the New Living Translation. That's just another way of saying repent. Now, you remember when we went over the church of Sardis, uh, we talked about there's three ways the Holy Spirit is shown to convict us. The first thing is that we remember. He brings to memory about what it was like when we were on fire for Christ, when we were hot. 
And then he, he gets you to the point where he wants you to recommit to the truths and the values that you had before that make you hot. And then finally, it's time for you to act on it, to repent and to turn from what you're doing and follow God as your true Lord, your true boss, not just a name only. Now, it's this repentance that is the most important part of what we're talking about today. You see, you can hear these words and you can hear the words of a pretty flowery sermon and you can hear other preachers tell you these same things, but unless you take them into your heart and truly apply them and repent, then you're still lukewarm. And we have to repent of this lukewarmness in today's churches. We either need to be on fire for God, or like Joshua said, make a choice, either be all in with God or just leave. This lukewarm stuff is not holding. And that's what Jesus said, I'll spit you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1, chapter 13 through 16. He says this, so think clearly and exercise self-control. In other words, quit going after the sins of the world. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. So again, it's the same message to believers, and it really applies to the church of Laodicea, the time period that we're living in now. Look forward to the return of Christ and start living appropriately, Peter's saying. Verse 14, obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then. In other words, don't keep going back. Don't keep you know, sliding backwards. Keep on fire. But now you must be holy in everything you do. See, total holiness, 100% holiness, not cheating, all the way hot, because if you cheat a little bit, you get cold. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. For he himself has said, you must be holy because I am holy. So we got to be holy all the way in. Now, how do we become all the way in with God? Well, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6 and gave us the answer. So I'm going to read it from Deuteronomy. And you'll recognize this as the greatest commandment that Jesus talked about. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 through 6. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. So if you want to repent, that's what it means. It means you quit being lukewarm or cold. You go all the way in with Christ. Now, I want to talk to two different people. If you're lukewarm and you're in a church that has encouraged you being lukewarm and you're not being fed, you know, don't blame on everybody else. You need to get in the Bible. You need to start studying. Your spiritual temperature is your responsibility. So if you're lukewarm and you find yourself compromising with the world, then you need to realize compromise means you don't love God fully. Oh, no, Todd, I do. I love Jesus. No. According to Deuteronomy, the passage I just read, unless you love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, spirit, soul, body, all of you, in other words, unless you are totally all in in every fiber of your existence, spirit, soul, and body, then you don't really love him. 
Jesus said, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. In other words, you got to be committed wholeheartedly, like it says in Deuteronomy, wholeheartedly in following him. No more compromise. No more saying, I'm going to throw this part of the Bible out. No, you're all in with God the way he says it, the way he wants it, because he is the creator of the universe. And he is the boss. And he is your Lord. And to repent, if you're lukewarm, means that you finally say, Jesus, I want you to be my boss, my Lord. I know you saved me, but now I want to give you all of me wholeheartedly. And I want to tell you something. You need to do that now. Because days are evil. And as the days of the church of Laodicea progress on through the future, it's going to be harder and harder for the lukewarm people to find revival. And eventually they'll, they'll walk away from the faith. So get right now. Repent and get on fire now. And the second group I want to talk to is the cold people. Listen, if you're in church and you're just going through religion and you don't have any kind of power and you think, well, you know, religion is important for everybody. This is just another aspect of my spiritualness. If you're one of those people that says, oh, I'm a very spiritual person, but you don't necessarily think Christ is the only way and, and you're picking and choosing and combining all these different false religions into your system of thinking, I want to tell you, you're mixed up and you're wrong. Jesus said he is the only way. In John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you're cold and you're just playing around with religion, you need to realize something. If you're, if you're a tear in a church that's supposed to be weak, you need to realize something. You're facing an eternity in hell. And no matter how you want to cut it, no matter how you want to explain it, no matter how you want to try and pick and choose what you're going to believe in and just stay a, a spiritual person, the reality of it is you are bound for hell. And until you realize that Jesus is the way, the only way, and the truth, the only truth, as he's expressed it throughout the Bible, and life, he is the only way to have true, real life. Until you come to that point, then you're going to be bound for hell. But when you come to that point and realize that Jesus is the only way, then you'll be able to go to him and say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. And I promise I will follow you for the rest of my life. You will be my Lord. I believe you died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And I will commit to following you and you be the boss of my life from now on. If you can make a commitment to Christ like that, then you can cross over from being cold and bound for hell to being hot and on fire for Christ and part of the remnant that he'll come and take home one day. And hopefully that day is soon. So you, whether you're a tear or you're lukewarm, time is running out and you need to repent and get right with God. Well, how do you know he's going to accept you back? How do you know anything I'm saying is for real and you can get hot for Christ again? Well, he says in verse 20 this, 
Look, I stand here at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. So he says right there, if you repent, he'll come in and have fellowship with you. You know, he's standing there knocking at the door. In other words, he's moving in your conscience right now, in your heart. And he's saying, if you're not saved, he's saying, look, trust me, let me save you. And he's knocking on the door. And if you let him in, you will have fellowship with him. And you can be a disciple of his and follow him as Lord of your life. But this also applies to the lukewarm people in the church of Laodicea. If they will repent, and when he, they hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they say, yes, I've been wrong. I've been compromised with the world, and I'm growing colder and colder. I'm lukewarm, and I know I'm making you sick. Jesus. I repent, please help me. He'll come in. He'll have fellowship with you. And that's the start of revival. You see, a revival only happens with repentance. And then Jesus restores you back to fellowship with him. When you repent and confess how you've been straying away from him, he'll revive you. But the first step is he gives you that restoration where he says, hey, I'm going to take you back. I'll make it right. I'm glad you came to me and repented. And then, as you keep following him, he'll refresh you. And you'll find that filling of the Holy Spirit once again in your life. And that power once again. And then, you'll be on fire for Christ. So you see, if you want true life, that that revival fire again. It comes from repentance, allowing him to restore you, and then he gives you that refreshing, that true life where you're on fire and you realize that you may lose everything to persecution. They may take away your house, your cars, and your bank accounts, but it doesn't matter because you have all that you need and you've stored it up to heaven and you are on fire for Christ and you are truly, alive, and you look at your life and you say, yeah, this is true life. This is taking the marrow out of life. This is what it means to truly be alive and truly be rich. And that's what he was saying to the church Laodicea. Have the gold that I can give you in a spiritual sense. And Open your eyes because I will open them for you and let you see the truth. And I will give you the righteousness, the white clothes, so you don't have to be ashamed of your nakedness anymore. And you can have true life. That's what happens if you repent. The fellowship is restored. And he doesn't just stop there. He adds even more. In verse 21, he says, I will invite everyone who is victorious to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So he's saying right there, if you repent, he will restore you, he'll refresh you, and revival will come. And on top of it all, 
you'll be victorious and you'll reign with him in his kingdom. Wow. What a blessing. What a blessing. So take the ointment. Open up your eyes and see what the scripture is saying. Open up your ears and listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And make sure you're not cold, you're not lukewarm, but you're hot for Christ. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.